0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. And today I'm going to preach a message called No Can Be a Good Answer. No Can Be a Good Answer. Jesus, I pray today that every person here will hear, will see, will understand will receive and will obey in Jesus name amen you may be seated a true sign of maturity is the ability to to accept the answer no now, children have a very difficult time with this. I'll tell you a story that, that one man told. He said, his little girl came up to him and said, Daddy, can I have a cookie? Daddy said, no, you may not have a cookie. We're getting ready to have supper. She stomped her foot. And dad said, no cookie. And She walked away little while later he heard a commotion in the kitchen because sometimes children don't realize that sound travels it is not limited to a little tiny space and so he heard chairs and commotion in the kitchen and he went in the kitchen and here she had built a ladder out of chairs and had climbed up to the top shelf where daddy had put the cookies And she was reaching into the cookie jar when Daddy came in, and there she was with her hand in the cookie jar. And he said, I told you that you could not have a cookie. And she said, But Daddy, I got this cookie for you. (laughs) And he said, I don't want a cookie. And she said, Then can I have the cookie? See, children have a hard time hearing the answer, no. But we realize as we get older that sometimes no is a good answer. Because you see, we are so limited with what we see at the moment that we don't see the future. King David was a great man of God, perhaps one of the greatest men of God in all of Scripture. Yet David committed two terrible, terrible sins. He committed the sin of adultery, and then he had the woman's husband killed in battle, really murdered. And because of his two sins, the woman became pregnant and had a child and when Nathan came to David, the Nathan the prophet, and exposed the sin, if you read in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 15, it will say that Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Nathan leaves, and immediately the child is deathly ill. David therefore besought the Lord for the child. He fasted, he went in, and he laid all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth. But he would not, and neither did he eat bread with them. Sounds to me like he's real serious about this prayer request. This is an urgent need. This child is gonna die unless God intercedes. So he prays and he fasts and he separates himself from everybody else and he lays in the dirt all night long, thinking perhaps God will give a miracle. But verse 19 says that when David saw his servants whisper. He perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David rose from the earth, and he washed, and he anointed himself, and he changed his apparel, and he came into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped, and then he came to his own house, and when he, when he required, they set before him, and he did eat. Now this puzzled all of the people around him. So verse 21 says, What thing is this that you have done? You fasted, you wept for the child while it was alive, but when the child is dead, you rise and eat. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and I wept, for I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore, should I fast and bring him back again? I will be going to him, but he will not return to me. I've I, I, I got to make sure you understand this. Here's a man so desperate for his child that he weeps and he fasts and he doesn't wash and he rolls around the dirt all night long, begging, pleading with God for the life of his child. And God says, no. And the child dies. Now, I think I'd be pretty upset if I lost a child under those circumstances. Sometimes we do all that we know to do to get God's attention, God's favor, and a favorable response, and God still comes back and he says, no! We are disappointed with the answer and we want an immediate explanation. But I can't find anywhere in the scripture that God gave him an explanation. He didn't say, well, David, you didn't know about this child. It would have been thus and thus. And so that's why I did what I... He gives no explanation. He just does what he knows is best. And it's not always according to our will. Can I get an amen? But you know what impresses me in this story? What impresses me is that David stands up, cleans up, changes his clothes, and he goes not to his house. If you were reading with me, he did not go to his house. He went to the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. Worshiped? I'd be angry. But David trusts God with no answers. Do we? Do we trust God with no answers? Now I want yes answers. And please don't misunderstand my message this morning. Matter of fact, we're having a day of of prayer and fasting this week for the four people that have been mentioned that are still working on cancer. Sarah Schultz, Joe Thorpe, Bob Vick, James Jones. And that's what we're doing this Wednesday. So we're going to do all we know to do, and we're going to ask God to continue to grant us miracles. Can I get an amen? And I, I will not even consider a no answer because I'm praying in faith. But sometimes God says no, and we have to accept it, Stand up, clean up, get to the house of God and worship. And then watch what David did next. And David, verse 24, then comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He didn't consider his own feelings. He didn't complain that as king of Israel, God didn't answer his prayers. No, he went to Bathsheba, his new wife, And he went unto her, and he lay with her, and she bare a son, and they called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. Because, in my opinion, David was able to accept no. He was able to go to the house of God and continue to worship and serve God he was able to comfort others in this case his wife and god was so pleased with david's response to no that he gave bathsheba the wisest and the wealthiest man the world has ever known solomon wow here's somebody that was able to accept the answer no second corinthians Chapter 12, verse number seven, perhaps the greatest apostle, evangelist, that the world has ever known, was a man by the name of Saul, who later had his name changed to Paul. But Paul was not a man that was very impressive in his stature or in his ability to speak. It is said that he slurred his words oftentimes and walked with a limp and was a man relatively of small stature. But when he preached or when he wrote under the anointing of God, he was forceful and he was powerful. And God anointed him to do many, many miraculous things. But there was a thorn in his flesh one thing that he asked for of himself. And verse seven says, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. But God said no. Three times he said no to me. And finally, he then said something else. It was the first song of the worship service today. I'll for a confirmation to the word. My grace is enough. That's what the song said. The word says it this way My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength, notice it's not your strength. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And the conclusion of Paul, after he hears this from God and is rejected on three times, he says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of God or Christ may rest upon me. Listen, he goes even further. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. How many of us can say that? In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When I am weak in my flesh, God's strength in me makes me strong. Where did it come from? It came from the answer, no. I'm not taking that thorn in the flesh away from you. I'm gonna give you grace, and it will be sufficient. And you will be stronger with my grace than you would have been with a yes answer in your flesh. It's not easy, it's difficult. But no can be a good answer. Can I get an amen? How many times have you prayed and asked God for things? And what's your response when God says no? I will tell you this. I remember when I went through cancer, it was very difficult for me, and I didn't know if I was going to get yes or no. That's the hardest part for some people. Yes, oh, everybody rejoices it. Yet, Yes, can I have a cookie? Yes, you can have a cookie. Oh, dad, you're the greatest dad in the whole world. Can I have a cookie? No. Oh, you're so mean. Everybody else in the neighborhood gets cookies, but you're the meanest dad in the whole world. Because we have a problem with hearing no as an answer, but we have even a greater problem when we don't think God has answered at all. When we don't have a clear and resonant sound from God that says yes or no, that can be even more difficult for us. But that's because God's working on it. And he's trying to get us to become more patient, more tolerant of our situations. It's not easy, but he's working on it. You know, God has a really big problem. You know what God's number one problem is? Free will. The fact that you get to make all the choices. People can reject all of God's counsel, They can reject his grace, they can reject his word, and he ain't gonna do anything about it. He may keep working on them, but they get to make the choices. And sometimes we just won't take no for an answer. Let me tell you about a man by the name of Balaam. Numbers chapter 22. Here's what happened to Balaam. Prophet of God, 22 and seven. Now the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed from the reward for, with the rewards of divination in their hand and they came to Balaam and spake unto the words, they spoke the words of Balak. This is our master, Balak. Here's what he has to say. We have come here today with all of these gifts and all of this wealth representing Balak. And here's what Balak wants from you, Balaam. We're gonna give you all this money and stuff. All you have to do is come with us, stand upon the mountain, and pray a prayer that curses Israel because whatever God inspires you to say happens, and we recognize that. We don't have any prophets like you, and we obviously do not like God's people, so if you will offer this prayer, we'll shove all this stuff into the wagons and take it to your house. And Balaam says, well, stay here tonight. I'll put you up. Read about it here. Stay here tonight. And I'll bring you word again, verse 8, as the Lord spake unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, what are you doing here, Balaam? What are these men that are with thee?" And God said unto Balaam, thou shalt not go with them, Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. My answer to your request is no. And by the way, Balaam, what a dumb prayer request. Why did you put these guys up? Why do you even come and talk to me about this foolishness? Why would I say yes to your request? so that you can become wealthy and my people can become cursed, sometimes we offer to God some pretty dumb prayer requests. And God knows the motive behind it. And he has a right to question us and say, why, why would you do this? So Balaam drags his feet back. You can read about it here in uh, Um, in the rest of the story, and he says, well, you know, uh, fellas, I really wanted to accept your gifts, but, you know, God's kind of touchy on this subject, so he said no. He throws God under the bus. He doesn't say, I should have never even went and talked to him. It was a dumb idea. No, no, he throws God under the bus and says, well, I guess God doesn't want to do it, so I can't accept your gifts, and off they go but they don't give up. The next time they come back, and this time, this time they come back with people of lofty position, the vice president, secretary of state, key leaders, wealthy people, and this time they bring even more money and more stuff to Balaam and they say, hey, we represent Balak. We would like you to consider what we asked you before, this time we've upped the ante. And Balak thinks to himself, look at all the money I could give to foreign missions. I could pay off the house of God. I could do all these wonderful things for lots of people with this great wealth for just one prayer. Maybe... I'll give it another shot. Well, you guys, you just make yourselves comfortable and you, you spend the night and I'll go talk to God and I'll come back in the morning, tell you what God says. Another dumb request. God has already said no. So this time he says, now God, let's reason together. Come, let's reason together. Look at all that's being offered to Israel. What's one prayer? Can I go? And God is angry with Balaam now. He's angry. And he says, you know what Balaam, go ahead. Go ahead, go with them. Take everything they're given to you. Go with them, follow them, stand up on your mountain, and speak the words I put into your mouth. Go ahead. Well, Balaam's really happy. He's going to be a wealthy man. He's going to be famous now. So he gets on his donkey, and he starts following these guys. And they get a ways down the road, and all of a sudden, he doesn't see it, all of a sudden, this huge angel with a flaming sword, maybe the one that was guarding the Garden of Eden, (laughs) stands before that donkey and the donkey sees it and opens its eyes wide and gets afraid and takes off. And the donkey's running through a briar patch. And in the briar patch, all these prickers and things are tearing up Balaam's legs and his arms. And he's really upset with this donkey. And he starts wailing on this donkey, starts calling him names and beating him with a stick. And and finally, the Donkey calms down and walks back to the trail. They go a little further down the trail and the road gets a little bit narrower. There's very little room to play with here. And so the the donkey brushes Balaam's body up against the side of a building because it's a narrow way and he sees that angel again. Now he's really angry because now his legs all busted up and he starts beating the donkey again. Finally, they get through that entryway and and they come to a third position and this is just a doorway. And there's the angel for the third time standing right in the door with the flaming sword ready to kill them both. And the donkey has nowhere to go this time. So the donkey just collapses, lets its legs go out from under him, falls on his belly and lays there in the dirt because there's no retreat and there's no side angles this time and he just falls in the dirt. And Balaam starts beating the donkey again and finally the donkey turns. Now picture this if you can. The donkey turns and looks at Balaam and begins to talk. And he says, why do you keep beating me? Three times I have saved your life. There's an angel with a flaming sword before us, and I've prevented you from being killed, and yet you beat me for it. Do you know that people, when they want things and they want a certain answer, can't see spiritually? can't see what the wrong answer would bring them to. And God can use donkeys, friends, preachers, to try and warn you, if you get what you want, you'll wish you'd never had it. It will destroy you. If Satan cannot convince you that you are a failure, He will try to convince you that you are a success. You don't even need God anymore because you've got all that you need. That's why we need to stay humble before God. We need to accept whatever answer God gives us to whatever prayer request we offer because He sees the end from the beginning and sometimes we can't even see what's right before us. How many times has God kept us and blessed us from automobile accidents? I'm I'm just gonna say it because it it came into my mind, so I'm gonna say it. I am concerned about people that have cancer. I have a great burden and, and I know you do too and we're gonna pray and we're gonna fast and we're gonna seek God. But I want you to know this too. Most of the people in this congregation don't have cancer. They don't have any sickness. They don't have any illness whatsoever. Why is that? God has protected us and blessed us. I mentioned automobile accidents. I've been, my wife and I will sit in the car and I'll say, man, why are these people driving so slow? I, I'm getting very impatient how many idiots are there in this world? Where do they come from? They are increasing. She'll say, now calm down, Richard. Slow down. You'll get a more harmonious outcome. And then a few miles down the road, I'll see a terrible accident. And she'll say, see, if you'd have been here earlier, that could have been you. I wonder how many things God has kept us from, protected us from, and we never saw it. Balaam should have been killed. You want to know what the end of this story is? Balaam stands up on the mountain, everybody's listening, waiting for his prayer and Balaam blesses the children of Israel again. He can't speak what he wants to speak. He can only speak what God gave him to speak. Mm. Sometimes, I'll tell you what, Balaam now wishes he would have accepted no for an answer. Luke chapter 22 Luke chapter 22. I read this the other day and I thought to myself, of all the incredible things that Jesus did while he was on this earth, why did he only get 33? That's not very long to live, 33 years. I remember when, when Jesus, you've, you've read about it, I remember when he went to the garden, he knew this was it. It was the time. And he had one last opportunity as a man. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Can I get an amen? amen? But as a man, he wasn't looking forward to drinking that cup and for taking on the sin of the world and for dying on a cross. And so he goes to this garden. And for the first time that I can see... In 33 years, he has a prayer request for himself. Otherwise, it's always been for everybody else. But one time, he has a prayer request. Let's read about it. This is Luke chapter 22, and this is verse number 41. He had withdrawn from about a stone's cast. He kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I would like to reason with you. I'm doing a lot of good here. (laughs) Lots of people are getting healed. I'm doing a lot of good here. I'm doing a lot of teaching and giving instruction and parables and and opening up their understanding to to scriptures that they never saw before. I'm doing a lot of good things here. So if there could be any way that you would consider an extension to my ministry and give me more time, I sure would appreciate it, but If that's not your will, well, I don't want it because nevertheless is my will. And I never want nevertheless. I always want the more. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And God said, no. Your time is up. This is what you were born for. This is why you came. This is the ultimate of your purpose. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? We could have said, you know, boy, I'm sure glad Jesus came and healed and taught and did all these wonderful things. Man, he had a very fulfilling life. No, he didn't. He did not. He came to die that we might live. He came to save the lost. That's why he came, and and that purpose had not yet been fulfilled. And in order for that to happen, he was going to have to take no for an answer. But his no meant our yes because you see without him. God, can you forgive and remit my sins? No. God, can you heal me? No, because you'd only be healed by his stripes. God, can you save me? No, because you need a savior. And so Jesus took the stripes, took the beating, gave his life, shed his blood for the remission of your sins, and became the savior of the entire world because he was able to hear the words and accept them. No. And it means yes to us. Aren't you glad for what Jesus did on a cross for you and for me? Have we forgotten that? Have we taken that for granted? Have we lost sight of our priorities and our values in life? Have we? What really matters to us now? Now that you've been in the church and and you've experienced this great salvation and you've walked with God for a number of years, what do you want most from life? What are your goals now? Our goals should not change. I would see Jesus. I want to be with him. I want eternity With Jesus, that's still the number one objective. And I want to take as many people as I can with me that he can say yes to because it won't be a very happy moment when he says, no, depart from me. You worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Let's stand together. I think I've made my point today. Do you remember Legion? The crazy, wild man who wore no clothes, lived in a graveyard, could not be bound by chains. Do you remember... When Jesus said, no to a multitude and yes to one man. Read about it. Mark chapter 4 will tell you that he's preaching to the multitudes. But he stops the revival, tells the disciples that they are to get in a ship because they're going to the other side of the sea. They probably thought a multitude would be waiting for them. People would be praising and worshiping and they'd just walk right into revival, but no, they, they rode into a storm. They thought they were all going to be killed. And the Lord saves them from the storm and they get to the other side of the sea and there they find one man, this man I'm talking about. And the Lord left a multitude for one. Because you see, there's one I in the word multitude. And you are the one I in a multitude. And after he casts the demons out of him and provides him with clothing, restores his mind, and brings him great peace, Jesus said, well, it's time for me to go. And he gathers the disciples and gets them together. And in verse number 18, it says, that when he came into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. And Jesus said, no. What a disappointment. Hear the word no, after all you've done for me, Lord, I, I I have nothing here. I have no reputation, nobody likes me. I won't be missed. Come on, let's let's think logically here. And Jesus said, No, you can't go with me. I'm sorry, I want you to stay right where you are. And I want you to go home to your friends and I want you to tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And you know what Legion did? He accepted no for an answer. and he departed and he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. You're that guy? You're that guy who was in the bars on Saturday night getting drunk, getting in bar fights? You're that Loose woman that everybody talked about in town? I remember when you were strung out on drugs. Are you that guy? Yes, sir. That's what I was, but that's not what I am. I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified. God filled me with the Holy Ghost. He changed my life completely and he sent me to talk to you. That's why Legion couldn't get on the boat. And that's why you're not in heaven now. Go home. Go to your friends. Hey, go to your enemies. Go to the people you work with. Go to your neighbors and tell them what good things the Lord has done for you until I say yes and call you home. Jesus, we have been called to seek and to save that which is lost. You have given us a testimony. We have experienced great salvation. We'd like to be with you.